Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This episode contains distressing themes and descriptions of violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. At first glance, the Foster family possessed all the trappings of a picture-perfect life. A sprawling mansion worth £1.2 million nestled in the quiet expanse of Maysbrook, Shropshire, a privately educated daughter, and a fleet of luxury cars. In the summer of 2008, everything changed in an instant. As dawn broke on August 26th, an explosive eruption jolted the neighbourhood awake, drawing sleepy residents from their beds. Flames engulfed the Foster's lavish home, and thick smoke penetrated the morning sky. An investigation into the inferno would unearth the unsettling truth that sometimes appearances can be deceiving. They were a close, loving and united family. There was no sign of uh, any of this coming. As each day passes, more grim discoveries are made at the burnt-out wreckage of Osbaston House. What began as an investigation into arson today became a murder inquiry. Whether it was planned or something more impulsive, we may never know. Welcome to Season 8, Episode 11 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. Christopher Foster's path to affluence was paved with innovation as he developed groundbreaking insulation technology tailored for oil rigs through his business venture, Ulva. In a moment of epiphany in 1997, he conceptualised this breakthrough and christened it Ulva Shield. At the time, Foster was living in Wolverhampton with his wife, Jill, whom he married in 1987, and their daughter, Kirsty. The rise of Ulver Shield was not without his challenges. Foster faced the critical task of providing tangible proof to sceptical oil industry giants. He committed a £5,000 investment, remortgaging his home to fund testing. This demonstration underscored Ulver Shield's remarkable ability to resist flames, setting it apart from its competitors and winning over major players in the oil sector. The outcome swiftly transformed Christopher Foster into a multi-millionaire. 
With newfound wealth, the Foster's lifestyle changed dramatically, swapping an ordinary family home for an expansive Wolverhampton residence with the luxury of an indoor heated pool. This move symbolised Foster's transition into what he believed were higher societal circles. Former associates were left behind. As his friend Dave Mitchell recalled, to come second place wasn't Chris's style. He had to be up there with the winners. Fueled by an unwavering determination to succeed, Christopher Foster aligned himself with peers who shared a winning mindset. His ambitions extended to his daughter's education as he secured a spot for Kirsty at Ellesmere College, an esteemed institution with tuition fees of £16,500. Foster had always dreamed of a grand house. In 2005, he sold the family home for £700,000 and purchased a lavish property for £1.2 million. In Maysbrook, near Oswestry, Street, the grounds of Osbaston House spanned 15 acres. The pillared entrance of the home opened onto an oak-panelled hallway and the previous owner had spent £500,000 restoring the 400-year-old 48-foot drawing room with a wooden minstrel gallery. In a newer 19th-century addition to the right side of the property, there were five bedrooms and two bathrooms spread over two upper floors. It also had a stable block and kennels. A perfect haven for Kirsty, who owned three beloved horses named Breezy Bramble and Scrumpy Jack. Christopher and Jill Foster had fallen in love with the property, but wanted to add their own personal touches. This included a lake, and they planted trees and wild flowers, making a miniature woodland on the grounds. The Foster's friends and family were always welcome at the home, with one friend Geraldine Jones recounting, You would get a welcome at the house whether you were a prince or a pauper. Christopher Foster's preference for luxury extended beyond their grand mansion, as he also indulged in collecting prestigious cars, which included a Porsche, Ferrari, Aston Martin and a Range Rover. His days were spent enjoying a diverse range of hobbies, such as fishing and competitive shooting. His regular destination was the West Midland Shooting Ground, located a 40-minute drive away from the family home. He proudly commissioned tailor-made shotguns from renowned manufacturers investing a substantial £70,000 in a Purdy and £35,000 in a Beretta. In a single year, his shooting passion led him to spend a staggering £80,000. Evidently, Christopher Foster had finally realised his lifelong aspiration of attaining substantial wealth. It was a bank holiday, Monday, August 25th, 2008. The Fosters took part in an all-day celebration at the residence of local car dealer John Hughes. The event included numerous activities from clay pigeon shooting to quad biking, capped off with a barbecue in the evening. As the day unfolded, the Foster family seemed relaxed, and Christopher Foster enjoyed a few pints of beer. The evening barbecue wrapped up around 8.30, and the Fosters embarked on a 20-minute walk back home. At about 5am the following morning, neighbours were roused by a deafening explosion. Gazing out of their windows... They were met with a startling sight, flames engulfing the Foster residence. Swiftly responding to the emergency, 
Firefighters arrived at the scene only to find access to the property obstructed by a horse box, deliberately positioned at the gate. The tyres had been slashed, and as the firefighters grappled with the obstacle, the Foster's home continued to burn down. When the horse box was eventually moved, emergency workers sped to the main residence, but tragically they were too late. The blaze had already engulfed the stable block garage and the family's home. The collection of expensive cars had gone up in flames. Their fuel tanks had exploded. The stable block and garage were reduced to smouldering ruins. More than half of the house was consumed by the blaze. Over the next few hours, firefighters battled the flames, but the damage was extensive. Friends of the family received calls from concerned neighbours who reported the fire. One of those friends, John Hughes, who had hosted the barbecue, rushed to the scene. After the blaze was finally extinguished, the extent of the destruction became clear. The damage was so severe that search teams could not enter the property immediately. The structural engineer had to assess the safety of the building. The house needed further examination and potential reinforcement or partial demolition before the scene could be safely analysed. The prevailing concern was the fate of Christopher Jill and Kirsty Foster, as fears mounted that they might have been trapped in the inferno. The search team proceeded to explore the barn, revealing a grim discovery. The bodies of Kirsty's three horses, Greasy, Bramble, and Scrumpy Jack. Initial observations suggested they had succumbed to the fire, but upon closer examination, it was revealed that they had been fatally shot. Close by, the remains of three dogs were also found. They too had been shot. By now, the West Mercia police had been called to the scene, and further unsettling evidence would be uncovered in the garden of the home. There were pools of blood and scattered bullet casings. They led from the unlocked dog kennels to the stable blocks, and then to the house. As forensic experts descended on the scene to meticulously gather evidence, Search teams awaited the green light to enter the home to find any trace of Christopher Jill and Kirsty Foster. Simultaneously, the exterior investigation continued to unravel some further unsettling findings, which proved the blaze had been set intentionally. It was determined that the fire had originated within the stables, the garage and the house itself. Adding to the intrigue, the police noticed that the windows of the home had been boarded up, but from the inside. As the search team awaited clearance to enter the fire-damaged residence, officers from the West Mercia Constabulary delved into the family's background. A preliminary investigation revealed that they were likely faced with more than just a random act of arson. Neighbours of the family had mentioned to the media that despite giving off the appearance of limitless funds, the Fosters had been struggling financially. One neighbour, Gordon Richards, commented, When I saw Chris a few days ago, he seemed happy, but he said he was feeling the pinch at work because of the credit crunch. It was soon uncovered that Christopher Foster had been grappling with the tattered remains of an illusion. At the time of the fire, Foster's debts were significantly higher than his assets by £1.2 million. A complex financial landscape included 20 bank accounts, 
with one overdrawn by £330,000. Osbaston House was even covered by three separate mortgages. Things had begun to unravel for Foster back in 2003 when he struck an exclusive manufacturing deal for Ulvershield with a company called DRC. Over the years, he had also been living beyond his means, spending money on luxury cars, home upgrades and exclusive clubs. Foster subsequently sought a cheaper supplier for Ulvershield in California, a decision that would be his undoing. DRC found itself lumbered with a warehouse full of products it could not sell because the patent was owned by Foster. Legal disputes followed as DRC sued Christopher Foster for breaching the exclusivity agreement. Concurrently, questions arose about Foster's business practices, including claims of offshore accounts and tax evasion. He had bragged to friends that thanks to his, quote, brilliant accountant, he had moved so much money offshore that he didn't have to pay taxes like ordinary people. However, this brilliant accountant, Timothy Baker, reported Foster to the Inland Revenue for unpaid taxes after a dispute over an outstanding fee. In response, Foster filed a police report alleging Baker was blackmailing him. According to Foster, their fallout stemmed from a disagreement over a property in Cyprus worth £100,000. Subsequently, Baker faced legal proceedings for the alleged blackmail. He countersued, accusing Foster of concocting a false blackmail claim to cover up an alleged plot to have him physically assaulted, something Foster vehemently denied. Ultimately, Timothy Baker was acquitted of the blackmail charges. However, he was sentenced to 15 months in prison for submitting false documents during the trial. To address his mounting financial woes, Christopher Foster turned to borrowing from banks, leveraging Osbaston House as collateral to settle his outstanding tax bill of three quarters of a million pounds. His financial struggles were compounded in September 2007, when Ulva Limited underwent compulsory liquidation following the legal battle with DRC. A High Court judgment determined Ulva Limited owed damages, plunging Foster further into debt. Amid this financial turmoil, DRC gained control of the Ulva Shield patent. Under its management, the insulation technology thrived, finding its place in the oil rig industry and securing contracts with major players like Exxon, BP and Shell. Despite his dire circumstances, Christopher Foster continued to maintain an extravagant lifestyle, spending lavishly even as his financial situation deteriorated. He quickly began asset stripping, transferring substantial sums of money, plant machinery, contracts and employees to a newly established company named Phoenix. This move prompted a £3 million freezing order to be imposed on his assets, leaving him effectively without an income. On November 13, 2007, a court order was issued for the winding up of Ulva Limited. Foster was restricted from selling Osbaston House without approval from the liquidator. This legal constraint rendered him unable to cash in on any appreciation in the property's value since its purchase, despite having invested hundreds of thousands of pounds to create what he saw as the perfect family home. Osbaston House was no longer his to sell, leaving Foster with over £4 million of debt. Despite his worsening situation, Foster kept his family in the dark about this financial catastrophe, outwardly acting as though everything was normal. 
In the summer, he casually mentioned to his mother that he had a problem with the taxman, implying a temporary shortage of cash. However, a more serious concern loomed. Foster had become involved in so many murky business dealings that he attracted threats and accusations. This had left him on the edge, prompting him to conceal a handgun in his car. He heightened security by installing electric gates and instructed his cleaner Belinda to only allow people into the grounds who the family were familiar with. Adding to his worries, about a week before the fire, Christopher Foster had received a letter from Bailiff stating their intention to repossess Osbaston House. As news of the fire circulated, rumour and speculation were rife. Some acquaintances suggested that the family had been shot before the house went up in flames. Christopher Foster had garnered a fair share of enemies over the years, which fueled these theories. Some locals even floated the notion that Foster might have committed the act himself, killing his family before barricading himself inside the home and starting the fire. Another opinion suggested that Foster might have orchestrated the entire scenario to escape mounting financial turmoil, vanishing with his wife and daughter. A police spokesperson sought to defuse these rumours, stating, There is a lot of speculation going on. When we are able to, we will issue some facts. We are not able to go into the building, so we don't know what, if anything, is inside. As Christopher Foster's past came to light, approximately 80 officers were assigned to the case. Led by Detective Superintendent John Groves, the inquiry was dubbed Operation Feedback. While the investigation was focused on arson, it had not yet been labelled a murder inquiry. After all, it was still unknown whether the Fosters were inside the home during the blaze. The day after the fire, structural experts began their work at the residence, aiming to render it safe enough for the search team to enter. Challenges were evident, primarily the substantial size of the home and the effects of the fire. Superintendent Gary Higgins told the media, It is a large property, and there is a lot of debris inside, which will have to be painstakingly sifted through and examined. This is not something which can be done quickly. The three members of the Foster family remain unaccounted for at this time and we are carrying out every possible line of inquiry to trace them. Until we can enter the property, we do not know whether they are inside at the time of the fire. Investigators working on the arson case maintained an open mind, while a source familiar with the inquiry disclosed. The sort of lifestyle Mr Foster and his family enjoyed was not something he would have lightly given up. One of the factors we have to bear in mind is how Mr. Foster would have felt if he knew all of this was about to be taken away. As the uncertainty surrounding the fate of the Fosters persisted, their loved ones were alarmed about what had happened. Anne Giddings, Jill's sister, expressed the wider family's collective feelings of being trapped in a state of limbo. And added, We are all just too upset to say anything else at the moment. While the property underwent preparations to ensure safety for specialised teams to enter and conduct a search for the missing family, it was realised the blaze had nearly consumed the entire house. Only one portion had been spared, as the flames had ravaged a section containing the bedrooms. 
An expert in fire behaviour noted that the search team's task would likely focus on the quest for a small amount of human remains. He explained, All human tissue and bone burns away in temperatures of that intensity, but tooth enamel resists it. All that may be left is teeth. Now that they're finally in, the first thing detectives want to do is try and establish whether the family were at home when the fire started. There mustn't be any rush to locate the bodies because in doing so, there's a possibility of them uh, uh, damaging other evidence on the way. Donning protective suits, the search team readied themselves to enter the building. Progressing inch by inch... They would manoeuvre on their hands and knees, methodically scouring through the burned debris. The search team began to comb through an area situated beneath what had once been Christopher and Jill Foster's bedroom. The ceiling had collapsed in on itself, covering the floor. One member of the team, Dominic Black, recounted, I stepped on something spongy by the fireplace. Upon closer inspection, he realised he had encountered human flesh. The team retrieved the tissue, revealing the remains of another individual underneath. Adjacent to the discovery, they spotted a 22 caliber rifle that belonged to Christopher Foster alongside the body of the family's fourth dog. The bodies were charred beyond recognition, so identification could not be made by sight alone. The remains were carefully removed from the scene for further examination. The process of establishing who they were would require analysis of DNA and dental records. Following the shocking discovery, Superintendent Gary Higgins announced to the public... We can confirm that two bodies were recovered last night from the main part of the house. It is likely to take some days, possibly several weeks, to complete the examination and sifting of debris inside the building. The first body was identified by dental records. It was Jill Foster. The pathologist confirmed she had sustained a gunshot wound to the head. Similarly, a post-mortem examination conducted on the fourth dog uncovered that the animal had also been fatally shot prior to the fire. Later that day, the second body was also positively identified via dental records as Christopher Foster. Soon thereafter... On the sixth day of the search, concealed beneath layers of debris, a third body was discovered amidst the ruins of the burned mansion. Initial speculation suggested the recovered body belonged to Kirsty. However, before any conclusive identification could be made, a delicate operation was imperative to extricate her remains from the home. The endeavour was complex. The upper floors and internal walls of the building had succumbed to the inferno, causing structural collapse. The prevailing theory suggested it was Kirsty, and she had been in her bedroom upstairs when the floors and walls gave way, and she plummeted eight feet down into the cellar located beneath the main hallway. She was buried underneath tons of rubble, making it extremely difficult to remove her body. To navigate the intricate challenges, the expertise of a forensic archaeologist was sought. Once the remains were successfully removed, all officers at the scene needed to stop work to recover from the shock of what they had found. Subsequent DNA testing proved that the third body was indeed Kirsty Foster.
the discovery of human remains and the pathologist's findings prompted a murder investigation as the West Mercia police sought to unravel precisely what happened. Amidst swirling rumours, it became apparent that the Fosters and their pets had been intentionally killed before their home was set ablaze. The investigation focused on determining whether the perpetrator was an outsider or, chillingly, a member of the family. Despite the seemingly jovial atmosphere during a gathering with friends, the police knew they needed to dig deeper. They spoke with the family's cleaner, Belinda Fathers, who had seen the Fosters on Friday as she finished work for the weekend. I mean, they didn't behave any differently. You know, there were no... They didn't seem any different on Friday than they would normally be. I mean, Chris was in a cheerful mood. You know, they were all larking around. Detectives began considering the possibility that Christopher Foster might have been responsible. Their working theory suggested that he had taken the lives of his wife, daughter, pets and horses before deliberately setting the house on fire and ending his own life. A source close to the investigation commented, It sounds as if Foster knew the bailiffs were coming and realised that within hours, his pose as a prosperous and successful businessman was about to be exposed as a sham. The house, cars, shooting parties and his daughter's expensive private school education were, it seems, all about to be snatched away. Although we are open to every suggestion, the likeliest scenario is that he couldn't bear the shame that was about to engulf him and his family and decided to end it for all of them. Mere hours after the discovery of Kirsty Foster's body, the public were made aware of the prevailing theory. Detectives believed Christopher Foster was driven by his financial burdens to orchestrate a murder-suicide. The theory was substantiated by a string of evidence, much of which came from surveillance footage captured outside the Foster family home. According to the police, this orchestrated sequence was part of Foster's elaborate plan. It was believed by this point that Jill and Kirsty Foster had already been shot dead. The West Mercia police held a press conference to inform the public of the developments. Detectives investigating the arson and murders at Osbaston House, Maysbrook, in the early hours of August the 26th, believe that Jill and Kirsty Foster were killed by Christopher Foster. We believe Mr Foster took his own life after setting the house alight. CCTV recovered from the house shows a man who we strongly believe to be Mr Foster in the grounds of the property during the early hours of that Tuesday with what appears to be a rifle in his hands. It also shows outbuildings going up in flames around the same time and a large horse box being driven down the driveway, blocking the main gates to premises. To the premises, A man, again believed to be Mr Foster, is seen to get out of the vehicle and apparently shoot out two of the tyres. Amid the backdrop of this startling revelation, Enid Foster, Christopher Foster's mother, released a statement. She said her son and his wife and daughter were a very close, loving family unit. Enid explained that Foster had not spoken to Jill or Kirsty about his financial troubles, adding, I don't think he could face telling them that they were going to lose everything, but I am in no way condoning what he's done. It's very hard. According to Christopher Foster's mother, his friends had come forward in the wake of the murder-suicide. They said that if they had known about his financial difficulties, they would have helped in any way they could. Enid Foster concluded her statement by saying, Life will never be the same without them. 
we're finding it very difficult to come to terms with. Jill's older sister, Anne Giddings, did not hold back her thoughts about Christopher Foster. She labelled him a coward, whose preoccupation was solely money and control. Anne mentioned several instances that underscored Foster's behaviour, portraying him as someone driven by his impulses. She recounted an incident where he shot Jill's doves after they had left droppings on his prized cars. In another disturbing incident, Foster shot Kirsty's pet Labrador after it agitated some sheep that belonged to a local farmer. According to friends, Foster was a Jekyll and Hyde type character, charming yet impulsive. Jill made a point to steer clear of her husband when he was in one of his volatile moods. Speaking about her brother-in-law, Anne Gidding stated, Chris was completely power mad. He always had to belittle everyone else. He was a control freak. He shot his pet dog in the head because he couldn't control it. That is how much of a control freak he was. Beneath the surface of Christopher and Jill Foster's relationship, Anne revealed that the marriage was not as harmonious as it seemed from the outside. Foster's wealth drew the attention of other women, and his wandering eye led to a series of extramarital affairs. While Jill was privy to these infidelities, she chose to play the part of the dutiful wife and remain silent. As Anne recalled, he wasn't a good-looking guy, but money did the talking. He was always flashing the cash. It seemed to give him confidence. Christopher Foster's estranged brother Andrew had also seen past the facade. They had fallen out around 16 years prior, and Andrew referred to his brother as a bully. As Foster's wealth increased, they drifted even further apart, leaving Andrew with no choice but to sever ties completely. Andrew recalled, I realised that I had to get away from him and create my own life. I wrote to him several times to see if we could sit down as adults and discuss things, but he was uncompromising. Once you had fallen out with him, that was it. An inquest into the murder-suicide was undertaken, and on September 26th, Detective Superintendent John Groves testified, revealing the locations where the three bodies had been discovered within the home. The detective confirmed that Jill Foster had tragically succumbed to a gunshot wound to the head. However, it was noted that the cause of death for both Christopher and Kirsty Foster remained undetermined. In response, Coroner John Ellery adjourned the hearing, allowing time for the ongoing investigation to proceed. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode of They Walk Among Us is brought to you in association with Centair. Ever entered a seemingly perfect space only to feel like something was missing? That's where Centair comes in. With over three decades of experience, Centair leads the scent marketing industry, scenting resorts, retail outlets, event spaces and more, partnering with major brands like Westin Hotels and Snap Fitness. Chances are you've already encountered their fragrances firsthand, and now Centair is offering you a luxury fragrance experience in the comfort of your home. Visit Centair.com to explore their online store and infuse your spaces with unforgettable scents. Centair diffusers are sleek and fill your space with vivid fragrance for up to 300 hours. And the Centair app lets you schedule your fragrance and control your intensity right from your phone. What's more, all of Centair's more than 60 fragrances are phthalate-free, cruelty-free, safer families and EcoVad is certified sustainable. Differentiate your space with scent. Try luxury home fragrance trusted by the pros by going to Centair.com and using promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order. That's promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order at Centair.com. As the inquiry unfolded, the Foster family's loved ones planned to formally say goodbye. Jill's siblings, Anne and George, made arrangements for Jill and Kirsty's funeral. Meanwhile, Christopher Foster's mother, Enid, and his brother, Andrew, undertook the task for Foster. Surprisingly, the family's loved ones were told that Foster would be laid to rest alongside Jill and Kirsty. Although Jill's relatives requested there be some distance between the burial plots, the regulations of St John's Church in Maysbrook mandated that all new graves be positioned side by side. Anne commented, I'm gutted to think that beast will be buried in the same cemetery as my sister and her beautiful daughter. He will be lying right next to them just a few feet away. Jill and Kirsty Foster's loved ones assembled on December 19th, 2008 to bid them their final farewell. The village of Maysbrook stood silent as mourners lined the streets, watching as their coffins were transported to the joint funeral service at St John's Church. Christopher Foster's family stood alongside Jill's loved ones. The atmosphere was charged with emotion. Numerous attendees were unable to find a place within the packed venue, instead listening to the proceedings via a PA system. As a tribute to Kirsty's passion for horses, floral arrangements took the shape of a horseshoe. During the memorial service for the mother and daughter, a member of the clergy, Tony Sadler, delivered a poignant sermon. No one could have predicted that such a tragedy as this could happen in the depth of this beautiful Shropshire countryside. As Christians, we are required to forgive, but for many at the moment, that is a step too far. The wounds are too raw. 
Following the service, Jill and Kirsty were laid to rest side by side. Later in the day, Christopher Foster's funeral took place at the same church, though the attendance was noticeably smaller. Once more, Tony Sadler assumed the role of guiding the mourners through the service. Faced with the tragedy before us, we have each used the few known facts, wretched though they be, and tortured ourselves by trying to imagine the last moments of the family's lives. Some people's imaginations are more vivid than others. We have each tried to put ourselves into the family's shoes. We've mithered ourselves to find explanations. Even if we get on with doing something else, our imagination will not let us rest. Our imaginations are in need of healing. After the service, Christopher Foster was buried in the same cemetery, although it was agreed he would be laid to rest in a separate plot. His brother Andrew released a written statement in which he described how the family would never be able to come to terms with what had happened and would never understand why Foster had taken the lives of his wife and daughter. Andrew added, we can only hope and pray that they now rest in peace. The impending inquest, scheduled for the following year, promised to unveil the intricate details surrounding the tragedy at Osbaston House. Prior to this, it was disclosed that HSBC Bank had taken control of the property and plans were in motion to demolish the building and sell the land. Tonight, the mystery is almost over. The mystery of the torched cars and the destroyed stables. Of the millionaire's lifestyle and the multi-million pound debt. And so, detectives believe they know what happened here. They're now concentrating on why. Forensic psychologists have been brought in to draw up a profile of the businessman. One theory, that in a twisted state of mind, he somehow thought he was protecting his family from a life of poverty. The curtains finally rose at the inquest on April 2nd, 2009. Given the warning that the forthcoming evidence would be both intricate and distressing, Jill Foster's family chose not to attend. As proceedings commenced at Shrewsbury Magistrates Court, Christopher Foster's brother Andrew and his mother Enid took their places as observers. Amid the evidence presented, photographs of the charred remnants of the home were introduced. Containers of heating oil were scattered throughout the dining room, with towels drenched in oil strategically placed on sideboards to serve as accelerants. It was concluded that both Jill and Kirsty had been shot by Christopher Foster. Home office pathologist Dr Alexander Kolar detailed that Jill had suffered a fatal gunshot wound to the back of her head, while Kirsty had been struck on the left side of her head. Afterwards, Foster had positioned himself beside his lifeless wife, succumbing to the lethal fumes produced by the inferno. Dr. Kolar's findings indicated that Foster had survived for around 10 minutes after the fire had ignited at various points within the house. Forensic scientist Dr. Philip Rydeer testified that the 22 caliber rifle discovered alongside Jill and Christopher Foster had been used to end the lives of Foster's wife and daughter, along with the family's horses and dogs. The inquest took a deep dive into the intricate web of Christopher Foster's increasing financial challenges. It was disclosed that Foster's assets amounted to £3.1 million, in stark contrast to his staggering debts of £4.4 million. Business associates were summoned to testify, and among them was Mark Bassett, 
In his testimony, Bassett shed light on the extravagant lifestyle that had characterised the Foster family's heyday when financial prosperity was at its peak. The witness recounted a conversation he had with Foster in October 2007, during which Foster candidly revealed the family's financial situation. He disclosed that his wife and daughter would be unable to cope if they had to cut back on their spending. Foster conveyed that Jill and Kirsty had grown accustomed to a certain level of affluence, to a specific quality of life. Foster's words had an ominous undercurrent, as he starkly declared he would not allow liquidators to take his possessions. Foster said, Jesus, they are not having my stuff. I would top myself before that. They will carry me out of the house in a box. Mark Bassett told the courtroom that Foster had suggested in another conversation that he would rather, quote, take a wander down to the woods at the edge of the grounds and take a gun with him and commit suicide. Peter Grakinik, a former business associate and close friend of Christopher Foster's, noticed a significant change in Foster's behaviour after his company was liquidated. Grakinik told the courtroom that Foster had concealed his financial troubles from his wife and cancelled a gathering at Osbaston House over the new year. Foster was afraid that his financial woes would become public knowledge. During a conversation in 2008, Foster had told Peter Grakinik that his only option left was to disappear and asked Grakinik to take care of his wife and daughter. At the time, Grakinik thought the comment was made in jest and just laughed it off. Grakinik went on to describe Foster as vindictive and suggested that when there was a threat to seize his assets, Foster, quote, took the view that if I can't have it, nobody can have it. Mark Bassett and Peter Grakinik were not the only people to whom Foster had expressed suicidal ideation. Foster's general practitioner, Dr. William Greach, stepped forward to offer his insights. In his testimony, Dr. Greach painted a poignant picture of Foster's deteriorating mental health in the months leading up to the blaze. He spoke of Foster's chronic sleeplessness, declining appetite, and the haunting thoughts of ending his own life. Throughout March 2008, Foster scheduled three appointments with Dr. Greach, each unveiling a layer of his inner turmoil. However, during these sessions, he did not allude to any inclination towards causing harm to his family. In a bid to alleviate emotional distress, Foster was prescribed antidepressant medication. Dr. Greach's testimony further underscored that Foster had meticulously hidden his escalating financial difficulties from his wife and daughter. John and Camilla Hughes also spoke during the inquest and explained that nothing appeared to be untoward with the Foster family at the barbecue before the fire. Camilla recalled that at one stage during the evening, Foster even joked that the Russians owed him several million. Among the voices brought forth during the proceedings was a friend of Kirsty's, whose identity was not disclosed. They recounted a conversation with Kirsty on the night of the tragic incident. An initial exchange took place over MSN Messenger, with the conversation coming to a sudden halt around 11.30pm as Kirsty abruptly went offline without saying goodbye. Communication then shifted to text messages. Kirsty explained that her father had deactivated the internet connection to encourage her to sleep. 
The last text message received from Kirsty at 12.14am read, I'm off to sleep now. Night night. Love you. Speculation arose that the murders had unfolded sometime between 2am and 4am, based on comments from neighbour Robert Mosley. Mosley explained that he had awoken to the sound of high-velocity shots being fired. He said that the gunshots reverberated over a span of 15 minutes, and he heard at least four. Once all of the evidence and testimony had been presented, Coroner John Ellery announced the ruling that Christopher Foster had unlawfully killed Jill and Kirsty before taking his own life. The coroner said that Jill and Kirsty had everything to live for before Foster quickly and methodically slaughtered them. According to John Ellery, Foster most likely killed his wife first and then his daughter to ensure Jill would not stop him. After killing his family and their beloved pets, Foster pumped bucket after bucket of oil from the oil tank and carried it to various rooms in the home. It was also revealed that a pipe was discovered trailing from the tank through one of the windows of the house, a measure to ensure the property would be destroyed. The coroner then mentioned the CCTV cameras and said it was a mystery if Christopher Foster forgot to stop recording, believed the fire would destroy the evidence, or if it was purposefully left running. As part of his findings, the coroner recommended that the authorities should contact GPs before any gun licence applications are renewed. However, John Ellery acknowledged that he was not sure whether that would have made a difference in this case. Speaking after the inquest verdict, Christopher Foster's estranged brother Andrew provided a statement to the media. Further to the verdicts given by the coroner Mr Ellery today and his comments regarding the current gun laws, what has shocked us as a family over the last six months is the failure of different branches of the public service to work together, even when the objective is as essential as the prevention of life-threatening violence. It's become apparent that Christopher had been mentally ill for some time and had discussed with his GP and other people that he intended to take his own life. We are not apportioning blame or condoning Christopher's actions during the morning of the 26th of August last year. But we wish to highlight that preventive measures such as improved communication between GPs and police forces, firearms officers in the future could help stop a similar tragedy happening to another family. Andrew Foster revealed that a charity appeal had been set up in Kirsty Foster's memory on the website Just Giving and that all proceeds would be donated to Riding for the Disabled. Enid Christopher's mother also said, You always love your children, whatever they do. You can't cut off because they've done something horrible. I know what he did was horrible, but it just wasn't Chris. So where are we now? In May 2009, plans were finalised to knock down what remained of Osbaston House. At the same time, Christopher Foster's brother Andrew called for a private investigation into the case. He wanted the police to hand over a laptop Foster had purchased three days before the incident. It was believed the device might hold some vital information about the pressures he was facing. Andrew Foster stated, There are still a lot of things that do not add up, and we owe it to Jill and Kirsty to get to the truth. 
We cannot draw a line under these dreadful events and move on with the rest of our lives until we have done everything we can to tie up the loose ends. Demolition work at Osbaston House began in October 2011. It was a bittersweet moment for the family, as Andrew Foster stated. We as a family accept the demolition had to be done because the house was in ruins, but it is still a very distressing time for us. The remains of the house were the last memory I had of it and Christopher and his family. Now they are gone. Those memories have been wiped away at a stroke, and it is a difficult thing to accept. Andrew revealed that some of Kirsty's remains were still buried on the grounds. He hoped that the new owners would allow them to build a memorial. The month after Osbaston House was torn down, a new investigation was opened after Christopher Foster's brother accused the police of malpractice. He revealed for the first time that the reason he had cut ties with Foster was because when he was 11 years old, his brother had sexually abused him. Andrew described how this occurred at least once a week until he was old enough to find the strength to stop his brother. Andrew stated, This explains why Chris and I didn't see each other much as adults. I want people to know the truth. Some people think I was envious of Chris. I never have been. The abuse was about control, and I had to break away from him. He always denied it, but there was a pattern in Chris's life, and it revolved around controlling other people. A complaint was filed regarding the actions of West Mercia Police when Andrew accused the officers working on the case of being incompetent and rushing the investigation. He maintained that more should have been done to focus on Christopher Foster's culpability. Andrew said they knew his brother had threatened to kill his accountant and accused the authorities of not taking Foster's guns away despite being aware of these threats. However, nothing ever came of this new investigation. Meanwhile, the land that Osbaston House stood on was put up for sale. Property consultants GVA were acting as the receivers for the land. It was renamed Waterside House, with a guide price of £600,000, plus planning permission for a seven-bedroom principal property with a detached cottage and stable block. There was no interest, and in October 2012, the price was lowered to £450,000. It sold two years later, but in 2020, the new owner, Kevin Gorski, was unhappy. Despite paying £1 million towards building his dream home, Gorski said he was left with a death trap that could fall down like a Jenga block. He stated, It's like there's a curse on the land. Nothing has gone right. Two of the stones have already fallen down. They would have killed anyone walking underneath straight away. I've put every penny I have into this project, and the corners of the house and the garage could fall down at any moment. It's so dangerous. I worry that I or anyone coming to the house could be struck by a stone slab falling 35 feet. I've also electrocuted myself from the wiring. It's like this place has a past that it doesn't want to let me escape from. Thank you for listening. A special thanks to our new Patreon producer, Audra Speroni, 
and all our patrons for their support. For more information on this episode, please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.